Welcome to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to be discussing an article from the beef.unl.edu website. The title of the article, Do Your Herd and Your Bank Account a Favor, Test Your Hay. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by Dr. Mary Janowski, who's a Nebraska Extension Beef Systems Specialist. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, I'm happy to be here and hopefully convince your listeners that they should be testing their hay. Well, Mary, just before we were getting on, we were just talking about the time of year we're in. This is fall and people are starting to get their hay lotted in and you know think about what they're going to feed, what they need to buy if they need to find something to complement what they already have in inventory. In this article, you highlight the importance of testing your hay. Walk through with us just why that's so valuable and why it's such an important tool to use, especially this year in light of hay prices. Yeah, well, I would say in light of all feed prices, right? Um, everything's getting fairly expensive. And so being able to hone in on actually figuring out what you need to provide to meet needs is a great way to make sure you don't overspend. So the example I used in the article was um, was basically a heifer ration, right? Somebody had some smooth brown grass hay. That can range. I mean, I see tests anywhere from 48 to 58 on TDN. So that's the amount of energy and six to 11 on crude protein. So if you think about a heifer, meeting a heifer's needs, if you just fed them that hay on the low end, your heifer would be losing weight. And on the high end, that heifer would be gaining about a third of a pound or so, right? So now what do I need her to gain uh, if she's my replacement heifer? Well, probably I need her to gain, you know, maybe a pound a day. So now how much do I have to supplement her? Well, again, depending on whether I'm on the low end of the hay quality or the high end of the hay quality, the difference can be one and a half to three pounds of distillers. Well, that is a substantial amount of cost. Uh, the difference between one and a half and three pounds over a 90 day period is basically 20 bucks for $300 a ton distillers, which is about what it is right now. So if you think about how many heifers you have, and you multiply that by 20 bucks, you start going, hmm, you know, I could save a lot of money here if I know how much I actually need to feed. Because you, on one end, you either are overfeeding or the other end, you don't get your heifers where they need to be and they don't breed. Right. So the idea here is that testing your hay will allow us to make um, better decisions and make sure that you actually get to the end of this winter with all of your animals being where you want to be without actually overspending. Oh, I think that's such a great point. And I would just tell a quick story personally that I work with a producer that puts up quite a bit of annual forage for hay, hay millet, uh, oats. And so they brought in all of their forage samples and across the oat samples within a year, uh, we had some hay that was in the mid fifties for a TDN value. Some was in the upper sixties. The hay that was in the upper sixties this would have put around almost two pounds a day on a weaned calf. Uh, the other hay, as you shared in your example, uh, just kind of didn't even hardly meet requirements. Well, that's a drastic difference just in the quality. And so by looking at the hay that they had, understanding the nutrient value that was there, they could really begin to distinguish where do we want to feed these different lots of hay. And it made a huge difference. And so I just, I would agree with your example. There can be tremendous variability in hay quality knowing what you have just puts you in a really powerful position to make good decisions. 
Yeah, I mean, you talked kind of about, you know, putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Here's the feed inventory that I currently have. What best fits with different animals? And even how do I think about utilizing that such that I limit the even the number of head I might have to supplement? Because that's another thing is like, sometimes you can, well, I'll use this higher quality hay over here because it will meet these animals' needs. And now I don't have to worry about going out and supplementing them. I can go and supplement this only this other group and I'll use this hay plus the supplement. But you made a good point. Like within a year, you can have tremendous variability within a species. And I would say, I also see a lot of times people want to use last year's hay analysis. And that's also not very effective. Last year tells you nothing about this year. I mean, you think about, you know, this year I would expect, you know, some better quality hay, in fact, because of the drought, the stuff didn't likely get as mature but we don't know without testing it. And so you might find that typically you have needed to supplement and now you don't, or maybe we don't even need to allow free choice feeding of this hay for certain classes of animals. And so we can save back some money uh, that way. So I think it's really important to realize the value uh, that being able to get your hay test in and actually be able to make some strategic decisions. So let's talk about the testing the hay, just uh, how do we need to go about that? How we need to think through that? What are some tools we need to use to get an accurate sample and a, and a good analysis? Yeah. So the first thing that I think is really important is to recognize that a grab sample tells you nothing. So if you take a grab sample, you're basically representing about one square foot in the field. And I think anybody who goes and looks at their hay fields can probably say that there's going to be variation across that field in how that hay grew and thus what the quality is going to be. So we need to be using a hay probe and we need to be sampling based off of what we call lots, which is essentially just think about if it's the same field cut at the same time, that's a lot. If it's an adjacent field, let's say has a similar soil type and you cut it at the same time, and it's the same species, you can call that the same thing as that other lot as well and put those together. Um, however, one of the things you got to really think about is that even weeds. So let's say you happen to have a field, there's two adjacent fields, but there's one field that has a lot more weed pressure. Probably want to sample that separately because those weeds will have different nutrient content than the rest of the grass that you might have. So you want to kind of just think about what is similar and sampling those together and then anything that uh, that you might have sampled, we usually say if you've cut it a week later, you really need to call that a different lot. So within a day, you can probably call that within the same lot. What are the thoughts do you have about making sure it's the same lot, Aaron? Yeah, I think one thing I would also just emphasize is, and I know this happens personally, you get everything cut the same day, but you don't get it bailed all in the same time frame. So let's say you get half the field put up and you get extended period of rain, that's going to impact the quality of that hay that you were delayed in getting put up. So I think that's also something to be aware of in terms of a lot, uh, just to be aware of the harvest process could impact quality as well. For sure. Especially if you got a rain event, that's a really good point. Okay. So now we talked about, you need a hay sampler and you can borrow one from extension and we do have most of our extension offices have one. Um, but the truth is hay samplers are not all that expensive. Um, you can get a good hay sampler for a couple hundred dollars. 
and it can more than pay back the first time you use it. So if I'm thinking about buying one, there's a couple of things that I look for. Uh, for me, I like the ones that have canisters um, just because I can sample multiple bales in that lot all at the same time and then just dump it into a bag after. So that's something I particularly like about it. There isn't a right or a wrong here, um, but that is one thing I look for. The other thing is that you really want a tube that isn't too big because you want to be able to take multiple samples. So we say from a lot, you know, you'd really like to take 15 to 20 cores. And so some of the diameters on those tubes are really big. So you end up getting a lot of sample from one bale, um, which typically means that people are tempted to not sample as many bales. <laughs> um, and I think it's really important to make sure that you are sampling multiple bales because each of those bales come from different areas and they're going to have some differences. And so you want to make sure you're getting a good representation. The lab analysis is typically quite accurate but it's only as good as how accurate the sampling was. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I guess I would just also say that in my mind, the hay probe's best is the one that you're going to use. That's, you know, it needs to be convenient. It needs to be something you like to use. So I, you know, if you can spend just a little bit more money and have a hay probe that's convenient to use, is durable, you know, works with a cordless drill. Uh, that's a, a well worth the money. And I like those two that have a canister uh, that you can, you know, go out and take eight, 10 samples, easily dump the canister into a, a plastic bucket, maybe take eight, 10 more, mix that up, get a section or representative sample of that and submit it. One thing I would just mention as you are sampling bales, make sure if you're sampling bales in a lot, you're spreading out where you sample those bales. So let's say you've got a hundred bales. Uh, don't just do the first 10. I go ahead and you know sample maybe every 10th bale as you go across that lot. That gives you a much more representative sample. Yeah, that's a very good point. I also, I tend to get the a probe that has a smooth tip, not serrated. And that's mostly because I can sharpen those smooth tips myself. Um, and if I get the serrated ones, I have to make sure that I buy replacement serrate, uh, serrated tips. Um, and I find that, uh, you know, I go to want to sample and oh, darn, this thing's dull and I don't have another tip and that's just annoying to me. So I actually like the ones that have smooth, but that's, again, it's a preference thing. It's about finding what you're going to be happiest using and it's going to be convenient enough to where it doesn't actually create um, a barrier. So we were talking about going to the extension office and borrowing one. And before we got started, I had mentioned this idea, I was reading the book Atomic Habits and they were talking about how do you make um, something become a habit? And they were talking about trying to reduce the barriers and make it easy to do because um, you're much more likely to do it if it's easy. It's like if you were trying to get up and you wanted to go run every morning, it's like putting out your running clothes uh, the night before. So it's really easy for you to hop into them um, in the morning. What's well, kind of the same idea here, having one on hand that's sharp, ready to go, easy to obtain is going to increase the likelihood that you're actually going to get your hay samples taken. Yeah. The thing I also would add to that is uh, work with the people you're submitting the sample to and have sample bags and, and submission envelopes on hand. Uh, that's another thing that I think can make that process be something you're more likely to do. If you know you've got some 
sitting in your office or, you know, wherever you're going to store that, if those are on hand and ready, then you're just going to be much more likely to do that. Yeah. So let's actually talk about um, this submitting your samples, because one of the things that's really important is that you can use NIR analysis for a lot of like the common hay types that you have. But what's really important is that you actually put the information about that hay on there. In particular, if you can tell them the species of hay, that's actually quite useful for them because they can use the right equation and you get more accurate results. Um, one of the things labs will do is they'll take a, a hay sample. And if you just say grass hay, they have to they have to guess right at exactly what it is. So small cereals, for instance, if you were to sample a small cereal hay, um, they have a different equation for those if you tell them that's what it is. Um, sometimes they will try to look at it and they will try to figure it out. But the more information you give the lab, the better, in my opinion. So Mary, you said NIR. Define for us what NIR analysis is. The, the simple explanation is there's kind of two types of analysis um, that we typically can do in commercial labs. One is what we call wet chemistry. And, and that essentially is kind of what it sounds like. It's basically using chemicals that um, we go through a process and look at what those chemicals extract out of um, your samples. And that tells us things like how much fiber is in there, how much protein is in there, those types of things. Well, NIR is another way to do it. And basically it's looking at the light reflectance from your sample. And they've calibrated that back to what the wet chemistry would tell you. So essentially they have streamlined the process so that it's a lot more cost effective and a lot less labor intensive on their end so they can make it more cost effective for you. NIR works great with common feedstuffs because they have to develop an equation that is based off of wet chemistry. So they have to have run enough samples of that sample type to have a robust equation that fits the um, sample that you have. So word of caution is that if you have samples that are um, not very common, NIR might not be the best um, way to go and you might actually ask for wet chemistry. Both of them will give you the same analysis options, right? You can do crude protein, you can do ADF, you can do TDN, you can get mineral analysis a lot of times now with both NIR and with wet chemistry. So the real difference is whether or not it's accurate and then what the cost is, right? So people tend to use NIR a lot. I'm perfectly fine with that as long as it's not um, something that's just really different from what is typically going into that lab. So out where I'm at in the western part of the state, sometimes we get some odd stuff that we put up as feed. And, you know, one example in my mind is this year, a lot of people are bailing up weeds because they need some feed. Well, that's a situation where a wet chemistry is going to be the best test to use to understand what actually do you have there in terms of energy and protein. So I'm with you, Mary, when you said if it's a real common feed, NIR is a good one. If you have some question or it might be a little bit different or there might be some unusual things as part of that field in the mix, then I sure would encourage you to go with wet chemistry. It's not that much more expensive and it just helps you make sure you get an accurate analysis. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about a difference, you know, uh, 20 to $30 versus maybe something that's around 40. And you've got to remember, right, that investment is going to pay back on the end because you're going to end up meeting your animal's needs with the most cost effective way possible. So yeah, 
I think it's a great point. Weeds are, are a very good example. And, you know, some of, uh, I would say anytime that you have a really diverse mix of any sort, I would suggest wet chemistry because though all of the nutrient content and how things are in different species are different in terms of the reflectance. And so uh, having an equation for something that's a mix is really, really difficult. Um, so if you have something where you like some of these cover crop mixes that are out there, if you build something like that up, do wet chemistry. Don't um, do not do the NIR because there's not really a good equation for it. Yeah, and I also would just think about grass alfalfa mix. You know, there's fields that may have a much higher percent alfalfa than grass or vice versa. So, you know, again, that's an example of, in my mind, a wet chemistry analysis probably provides you the most accurate information. Yeah. And, and I will say, you know, the next step, right, you get your results back. What do you do with them? And the this is where I put a plug in for extension. Of course, we can help. Um, we can help you kind of figure out what all these things mean. But I also will say that um, Oklahoma State has a nice little document that has tables of nutrient requirements for different classes of animals. And I would say it works very well because they have the pounds of crude protein and the pounds of TDM required for, you know, dry cows. That's the one that I think I particularly use a lot um, that can make it really easy to just do the math to say how much do we need of this particular hay and will it actually meet needs? So there's some, there are some resources we can use um, to get you in the ballpark fairly simply, but honestly, we're here in extension to help and we're more than happy to help you walk through what you have and figure out how to best meet those animals needs that you have in your herd. Mary, any resources you think you would recommend folks look at and maybe check out if they're thinking about trying to get a better understanding of hay analysis? Well, yeah, we actually do have one document that's really useful. It's basically how to take a representative forage sample. Um, it's a NEB guide that's available that walks through kind of the process that you were talking about there towards the end of the discussion of actually taking the hay sample, the part about, well, how do I subsample if I have more than I want to send in? So this walks through the best way to get that subsample to where you're not removing or causing more variation. Because one of the things that happens is you have, you know, the bigger particles of hay, and then you have the more dusty particles of hay. And you want to make sure that you're capturing both at the equal portions of what's actually there. And so this kind of walks through um, some good ways to, to quarter and subsample. Anything else on this topic you'd like to talk about today? Well, if anybody is really interested in buying a hay probe, hopefully we've convinced you all that you should buy a hay probe. The National Forage Testing Association also has um, a list of companies that sell hay probes. So it's a good way to just go and look at that list and kind of you can from there, they have details about each of the probes that the companies have. So you can kind of pick from that and and then contact that company and get a hay probe sent to you. Mary, thanks for writing the article. Appreciate your time and the conversation today. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Uh, I hope everybody goes out and samples their hay. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. The title of the article we discussed today, Do Your Herd and Your Bank Account a Favor, Test Your Hay.